Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And I think this might be my favorite episode of Farscape thus far. I am so glad. I mean, I've been hyping this episode to you for a while, so I'm, I'm glad that you actually did like it. Uh, we are talking about DNA Mad Scientist, the somethingth episode from season one since they aired them all wacky. The ninth episode in watching order. Mm. Yes, this episode was directed by Andrew Prowse who also directed the pilot, hmm. and will go on to direct several episodes, including taking part in, I was going to say my two favorite three-parters. They might be the only three-parters, but Look at the Princess and Liars, Guns, and Money, which are some of the best episodes, honestly, of this show. I mean, those are basically just movies, right? I was going to say they're basically two little mini-movies. Hmm. And this episode was written by Tom Blomquist. That's a fun name, Blomquist. Yeah. Who did no other episodes of Farscape. Huh. Weird, right? Yeah, because this is really good. I'm surprised they didn't want him back. Maybe he's difficult to work with, or maybe he straight up just didn't want to do another episode. Yeah, I have no idea what the situation was, especially because, as you said, this episode is really well written. Yeah. There's a lot of really powerful moments in it. This is such a great Aaron episode. Uh, I, I love this episode for all the pilot stuff. Pilot gets to be a little um, snarky in this episode in a way he hasn't really gotten to be before. With good reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, sh should we just jump into it? Yeah. Yeah, we should just jump into it. We open in what has to be like one of the most freaky ways to open an episode with a needle going into an eye, specifically John's eye. Yeah, yeah, some real body horror. You Before we even see the needle, we just hear the voice from off screen that says, if you wish to blink, now would be the time. It's creepy. Very horror movie, this episode. Yes, so... John is having fluid extracted from his eye by Lion Cat from Saga? Oh, yeah, and it does look like Lion Cat. Well, although I think he's supposed to look like something else. His name is Namtar. Namtar. Namtar, which, if you're paying attention, Namtar is, of course, Ratman backwards. Okay, I have umbrage with this, which I'll get to when we get to who Namtar really is. Oh, I'm okay with it only because no one ever says it in the episode. Well, my issue is that it should be Baltar. Okay, okay, yeah. We'll get to that when we get there. Although Baltar is also <laughs> the name of the character from Battlestar Galactica, so maybe they thought it would be too confusing. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, that sounds familiar in my head, even though I'm not a sci-fi person. I'm like... I think I've heard Baltar in reference to... Yeah, it's the villain from Battlestar Galactica. But also it would work really well for this villain in this episode. Yes, we'll get to that. Essentially this episode, not to get ahead of ourselves, but this episode is basically the Rats of Nim as a horror movie. Hmm. So Namtar is a science scaly S&M cat monster. Yeah, he's like blue and scaly and he has this like weird gold rib cage torso cage around his torso with like mesh club wear underneath it and these weird nipple guards it's a lot it's it, a look it's a lot of look yes it certainly is so he is a scientist who has discovered a way to find a person's home world through their dna 
Yes, he has to extract the DNA from the eye because he's working at much deeper than the double helix level, Mm. as he tells John. Now, this plays on something which was really lost on me for the first few episodes of the series, and I do like how sharply this pulls into focus the fact that they are lost in space. Yeah, this really highlights something that you don't think about if you're used to kind of normal sci-fi, which is that this world, by which I mean the world of Farscape, this, this universe is huge. Like... They might have heard of each other's worlds, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there from where they are, and they wouldn't even necessarily know how to get, you know, to Delvia from Hyneria. Honestly, the impression I get from this episode, I don't know how much this carries through to the rest of the series, is that most of the, you know, stereotypes about each other's races that they've picked up were things they picked up in prison because they are so on different parts of the... Because they are so in different parts of the universe that these are species that almost never normally interact. So these are actually probably peacekeeper stereotypes about the various races. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, I don't know how much this carries over to the rest of the series, but it really seems like these are people who would not have interacted if it were not... Like, these are species that would never have interacted if it was not for peacekeepers. You know, that that is definitely true. So Namtar calls over his Igor-esque assistant, a lady Igor. Yes. Uh, she... Uh, her outfit is also, like, an Igor outfit, but then with, like, an S&M harness over it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of a lot. So, the guy is kind of hitting on all of them as he's pulling together these star maps out of their DNA... He's charming. He's trying to charm them. Okay, I'm getting Mondo Mr. Sinister vibes from this guy. Are you saying Mr. Sinister is not charming? I suppose under certain contexts, Mr. Sinister could be considered charming. I mean, I saw the image going around of Mr. Sinister in the Marvel Puzzle Quest game. That was a man who was trying to seduce everyone into being evil. Oh, I'm not saying that he doesn't try to seduce people into being evil. I'm saying he's not effective at it because he's not an aware person. Gotcha. He's a very creepy man. Anyway, Namtar takes Zan's DNA first and he puts it into his machine and a hologram of a galaxy appears and she's able to see her planet and she gets all like verklempt about it. Yeah, it's... Honestly, a pretty nice piece of CGI for the time period. It's really beautiful. And so the the hologram of the galaxy is kind of twirling around and she walks into it and she sees her planet. And yeah, no, it is. It's it's simple, but very beautiful. And, and it really and it's effective because, you know, Zan is in awe. She you can tell a part of her thought she would never get to return home. And now she's feeling hope that she will. And she she goes over to where her planet is, and she touches it, and it enlarges, and it's just, I mean, Virginia Hayes sells this. She's like, it's home. So. Meanwhile, Aaron is not happy in the corner. No. Like, everyone's kind of like, oh, oh, I get to go home, I get to go home, and Aaron's like, mm-hmm, which, as we will see for later in the episode. I mean, she hasn't said it yet, but it should be obvious why she's not happy right now. <laughs> Namtar says he's going to give them a map that will show them all of their home planets 
and how to get there while avoiding Peacekeeper territory. Mm. But all things come with a price. Right? All star maps come with a price. And Aaron's like, yeah, okay, you know we have, like, a space whale, and that's basically it, and we're not going to give you the space whale. And Namtar doesn't want the space whale. He wants some DNA from their pilot. Mm. But he wants, like, a lot of DNA. Like, a shit ton of DNA. Specifically an arm's worth of DNA. Yeah, yeah. If you want want a star map, it's going to cost an arm and a leg. Just just an arm. Just an arm. A pilot tentacle. Yeah, I guess pilot doesn't really have legs, does he? Um, he has tentacles. Mm. He has tentacles down there that are, like, entwined with the ship. Yeah. We'll see in a later episode, we'll see the moment when he bonded with Moya, so you see him, like, being lowered into that place where he sits. And we get sort of a panning shot across the entire crew, and everyone's looking like, huh... Except for John, it was like, oh, that's super gross. Yeah, John's like, okay, well, game over. Next plan. And everybody else is like, hmm. Yeah, kind of a lot of the subtext of this episode is everyone in space is a jerk except John. I was going to say the subtext of this episode is I'm not here to make friends except for John. John Crichton flying through space with jerks. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of is. He kind of is. Well, I think that's an important part of this episode. I think it's important that it kind of hammer home that these people are not friends just because they all, by accident of chance, happen to be on the same ship. As much as I generally love the trope, I do really enjoy this series' rejection of the found family thing. Well, here's the thing about this show. These people will become each other's found family, but it's earned. Mm. It doesn't just happen nine episodes in. And honestly, it's kind of shocking because you're so used to it that we're nine episodes in and these people are all ready to turn on each other. We're not We're not a traditional family. Like the Johnsons next door, or that lesbian coven across the street. <laughs> And I mean, you know, found family is one of my favorite tropes. And I think I love this show because it earns it. It, it earns it. Obviously, we're not there yet. So down on the planet, John and Aaron are kind of off on their own. John has discovered that Namtar does not have Earth in his database. Which, so. obviously. I mean, not necessarily, obviously. I mean, he's the first dude who got off planet, really. In any serious way. Well, like, maybe alien abduction stories are real. Oh, God, I don't remember if it was Marvel or DC or something. Or, God, even the Alien franchise. I think it was a comic book franchise. But there's a thing about how, like, there's a creator race that went from planet to planet creating people. That's in Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah. And, like, that's one of the reasons why there's so many humanoid aliens, because they're all... Are you saying Star Trek probably stole this from comic books? Because I would not be surprised. I think that's a pretty common way to get around everything looking like a human. Yeah. Although in comics, you don't have that issue. Yeah. I think it might be a comic thing. I might be misremembering. Like, Well, I mean, that's how Stargate is, right? It, everything's just... I mean, there are aliens, but most of the planets they visit are just people who've been kidnapped off of Earth. Mm. Anyway. Or 
Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Trillian was... I mean, she wasn't kidnapped. She went willingly, but... Yeah, I, I was about to say, in Legion of Superheroes' case, it's more people sent out colonies a long time ago, and then they were just living there long enough. So, yeah, these are people from Saturn. My whole family's from Saturn. They've been living there for, like, hundreds of years at this point. That's also the plot in the original Battlestar Galactica. We find out at the end of Battlestar Galactica that they're actually a colony of people who have left Earth. Earth. Except then when they return to Earth, it's actually 1980, and then we have that series Galactica 1980. I don't think I hear people saying nice things about that oh, very often. Oh, no, no, no. And then in the new Battlestar Galactica, spoilers for a show that I believe is like ended 10 years ago at this point. Don't they become like cavemen or something at the end of it? Yeah, it turns out that they are the first humans, which also happens in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Farscape. Basically what I'm saying is all science fiction is the same. Yes. So John is upset because Namtar doesn't have Earth in his database, so John's not getting a map home, but, you know. Aaron's like, yeah, that really sucks for you, bro. And John's like, how come you don't want a map? And Aaron has to remind him, I know where my home is, John. I just can't go there. Remember? It's my backstory. Remember how we met? I know where home is, it's just if I go there, they will shoot me until I am dead. Right, remember, I'm irreversibly contaminated. And then John feels like a real jerk. He tries to comfort her, and he tells her, you know what, it doesn't even matter, it's not like anybody's getting a map home, because it's not like Pilot's gonna give up an arm. Erin's like, John? 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 Seriously, John? Seriously? And John's like, what? And she's like... Seriously, John. And we smash cut to them cutting off Pilot's arm. And I think this is so smart. When we smash cut to them cutting off Pilot's arm, it's Zan's face that we're seeing up close, right? The person you would least expect from the last eight episodes, except for that one episode. Yeah, I was about to say, this feels like it's building off Zan's kind of turn to darkness in that one episode in a really interesting way, but apparently that's not followed up on later. Yeah, and actually, you know, we had a little bit of a hiatus, mm -hmm. but that was last episode. Yes. That was in the last episode in that old Black Magic where Zan took a turn for the dark side. And here we're seeing that maybe her self-interest is a little stronger than we thought because she is... She's doing this thing where she, like, wants to stay a good person. She's like, I don't want to be the jerk here. So she's trying to reason with Pilot. She's like, Pilot, I will ease your pain. And he's like, fuck you, it's my arm! And Dargo's like, whatever, and just yeah. arm right off. He cuts off the arm with his quilt blade. What a dick. What a dick. Seriously. And Rachel was also there. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I was going to say Rigel's useless, but we do learn earlier that he's the one who found Namtar and got the coordinates of this planet so they could get the maps in the first place. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rigel. Thanks. This turned out great for everyone. So they bring the arm to Namtar and he tells them he will deliver the data crystal to their ship. He's got a real cyborg thing going on, too. Like, he's very S&M alien cat person with a little bit of, like, fawn... Well, his knees do the weird bendy thing that fawns do, and I believe the puppeteer, the actor who's doing this, is on stilts, because that's kind of what looks like is happening, um, as, as far as the way he walks. Like, he walks like a person on stilts. Mm. 
So I think the puppeteer that's that's working his head is on stilts. Just to give you an idea of what his motion looks like. But it is sort of how one would imagine a fawn would walk. Yeah, it, it, it like bends in the way, it, way that a fawn's leg bends. We cut back to Namtar, who is talking to female Igor. In Cornada. He, Cornada. And he's like, ah, excellent. Now that we have Pilot's arm, I'm going to cook up something a little special. Hopefully it will go better than my first effort. And this is massively disturbing. Yeah, we see a thing with two mouths screaming and kind of like attached to the wall. Like one of those plants, those air plants that live on walls. And it looks mushroom-like. I think we're meant to see that there's pilot DNA in this thing, but it's... It's just a Cronenberg horror situation up in there. I mean, I assumed incorrectly that this was his first attempt to merge all of the DNA of all of the main cast and that the plant stuff was coming from Sam. Oh, um, no, I think this was his first attempt to, to, to extract pilot DNA. I think that there was some other person and he did what he's going to do to Aaron in this episode to just some other creature and mm-hmm. it didn't work. It's really disturbing. And this is a show that does lean on horror elements not infrequently. This is the first time I think I've felt like genuinely disturbed by it. Yeah, this is very that one alien movie, Aliens movie, where Ripley sees all of those like messed up all clones. The clones. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about a future episode of Farscape. Oh, good. They, they know which one I'm thinking of. So, John goes back up to the ship and he's like, Hey, Pilot, how you doing? You doing okay? And Pilot's like, They cut off my fucking arm. Although Pilot does also tell him at this point that his species regrows their arms, so... Not a huge deal in the scheme of things, I guess. I mean, it doesn't make everyone else less of an asshole, but you, viewer, can be assured that Pilot will be okay. We're not building a different Pilot puppet. Yeah. Also, John is like, why are you not more pissed off? And Pilot's like, look... Part of my whole species deal is that the only way we get to see the universe is by bonding to Leviathan and basically being everyone who interacts with that Leviathan's butt monkey. Yeah, I mean, basically, they give their lives in service of whoever takes over this ship because it's the only way that they can get into space, which... Feels like a raw deal to me, but... Mm. So Aaron kind of confronts the rest of the crew and Zan's like, I'm so sorry that we had to do this, Aaron. It was a hard decision, but it had to be done. And Aaron's like, I really don't feel like it had to be done. Okay, I love this scene because right now we have Aaron judging Zan. Like, Aaron is... Morally. Yes, morally. Not just, like, from a tactical standpoint. Aaron is looking down on Zan and thinking, how could you do this? And I love this because Dargo and Zan, Dargo is like, you know, I did whatever it would take. Peacekeepers do the same. And he says that he would do the same to any of them. Whereas Aaron's point of view is, Pilot is a comrade, you know? Pilot is a shipmate. And you don't 
go against your shipmates. Like, this is showing us the extent to which Aaron and Pilot have kind of already bonded. So when I was talking about earning the found family, like, Aaron and Pilot are there. Uh, Yes, I do like how much this is drawing on Aaron and Pilot's relationship. And also, it really brings into sharp relief what a huge betrayal Aaron helping the crew was in the first place. What, wait, what do you mean? You mean, um, what, a, what a huge betrayal of peacekeepers? Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is her basically being like, I was wrong to do what I did, saving all of you. Which, not really an argument that's going to sway anyone, but like, I was wrong then and you are wrong now. Or yeah. alternatively, you are wrong now, implying that she was wrong then. This is a big homesick episode for Aaron, so it kind of makes sense that these feelings would be coming up. Yeah, and uh, speaking of these feelings coming up, the next scene, Aaron is talking to John, who's getting kind of drunk because he's honestly, I think, really freaked out to realize that Dargo and Zan would do something like that to Pilot. We already knew Rachel would. Yeah, I mean, come on. (laughs) Honestly, I'm surprised he's surprised at Dargo. Yeah, well, I think that's because he had the, like, noble warrior idea in his head, but that's not really what Dargo is. Dude tried to kill you because he was horny. On multiple occasions, even. Yeah, I guess. Oh, too horny. Guess I have to kill John. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Aaron decides to join John for a drink, and she talks about how she was raised on a ship. She was she was born a peacekeeper. We saw last episode the way Crace was taken from his home by the peacekeepers, but Aaron is kind of a different class of peacekeeper. She was born on the ship. She was raised in a creche with other peacekeepers. I mean, we did learn a lot of this from PK Tech Girl. This is a really solid continuity episode. Oh, yes, absolutely. But, and and PK Tech Girl kind of touched on those emotions too, just as, just as we do here, where Aaron brings up that she's always been you know, one of many. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is eventually going to go home. Even though John doesn't have his star chart yet, he's eventually going to go home. At some point, it's just going to be Aaron on her own. I mean, not really, because she's still going to have pilot. But it's eventually just going to be Aaron. And John's like, you know, you look human. When I find my way home, you could come with me. And she's like, yeah, me on a planet of years? I don't think so. Yeah. Like, I appreciate the thought, but at the same time, fuck you for that thought. Ugh. Meanwhile, Rigel is cleaning house because just this is putting so many, so many carts before so many horses. Yeah, Rigel's going through all of the stuff that he's pilfered over the centuries that he's been imprisoned because he's, you know, counting his chickens, to add another metaphor aggressively counting his chickens because he knows that he well he believes that he's soon going to go back to his planet and be dominar again and he doesn't need all of the little baubles that he's stolen i i like this too um dargo finds him you know tossing stuff out of his room and dargo finds this box of food cubes and he says did you have these when we didn't have food for two weeks and rigel's like something came up I Rigel's just so Rigel has no shame. By the way, Dargo is wearing this very odd shirt this episode. It's like a scoop neck blouse thing. That's what he always wears. Is it? 
Yeah, that's literally what he always wears. I thought he wore armor all the time. Nope, that's literally the outfit he always wears. Okay, Dargo's outfit is weird. I guess I just never noticed before, but seriously, he doesn't wear... I thought he wore space armor all the time. Nope, it's literally what he wears. It's so that you can see all the tattoos on his chest. Huh. Okay. I mean, to be fair, they do lots of things to cover him up so that they don't have to put all that makeup on him every episode. But no, that's that's his, that's his standard outfit. Hmm. Yeah. So Dargo leaves Rigel so that he and Zan can have a conversation about Namtar's technology and how amazing it is and how it could be such a great weapon, which honestly, I'm not completely sold on. I can see it, I guess. I mean... I figure space warfare is mostly map-based. See, that that's confusing to me. Like, Dargo says you have one prisoner and all of a sudden, and you can strike at their homeland. And I I don't think that, that doesn't track for me. I don't know. I, I feel like it works within the context of how war would work in a universe this big. I guess, yeah. Be- because Zin's like, uh, it's a shame that he's hiding this technology. It could do so much good for the universe and... Dargo's like, yeah, good for blowing people up because, like, you we could find the Peacekeeper homeworld and just blow the crap out of that. Like, there are these random-ass aliens from nowhere who come stomping on your homeworld. We can show them their insect reflection. Yeah, yeah. Zan wants to know why every time there's some breakthrough, the natural impulse is to turn it towards war, which is not correct, by the way. Whenever there's some new breakthrough, the natural instinct is to turn it towards porn. Everyone knows that. Yes, I mean, look at the internet. Look at vi- look, look at film. Look look at anything. It's Although now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's a human thing. Maybe that's like a thing that sets humans apart from like every other race in the galaxy in Farscape. Humans are the saddest, horniest race in the universe. Just not necessarily the saddest, just the horniest. Humans are the horny race. Yeah, no, that's what I'm going with. That's what I'm that's what I'm going with right now. I think Delvians are making the argument for being the horny race. I mean the Delvians are pretty horny, it's true. See, that's why I said horny and sad. Yeah. Which I'm sure there is a German word for. Of course. I don't know what it is, but of course. There's a thing in this scene that I want to bring up. Mm-hmm. It it doesn't go anywhere, but Dargo, like, his eye is still irritated from them drawing out the DNA and that feels ominous because because they're spending minutes of this show discussing it. Um, but like I said, it doesn't come to anything. So I feel like it's mostly there for like the unease of letting us know that there's something up with Namtar. I mean, we know because we already saw the horrifying creature. Also because he's an S&M cat lizard. Sure. Sure. Not to judge people by the... By their sexual proclivities or cat lizardness. Yes, but, I mean, we're dealing with television, visual medium, there are some shorthands you use, and all of these things stacked on top of each other lead to badness. I'm just saying, I I think it's interesting that they take some time to highlight that Dargo's eye is still in pain. I I like it. It it adds to the unease that we're feeling. Yes. But this segues right to Dargo and Zan arguing about... Where they're going to go first. Well, it sort of, it starts out like Zan talking about how much she's looking forward to getting to a certain festival on her planet within a certain period of time. And he's like, well, maybe, maybe don't count on that because 
of course we'll be dropping me off first. And Zan's like, will we though? And Argus like, hmm. Which, given the very little I know about all of their backstories at this point, it seems like, honestly, it would be a good idea to drop Zan off first. Zan seems like it would be the least trouble for them to drop her off first without having to deal with a bunch of other shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. No, there's some Delvian shit. There is some Delvian shit. But is there more Delvian shit than there is whatever the fuck Dargo's race is, or especially Rigel, which definitely do Rigel last because he's definitely going to be immediately executed. Oh, yeah, there's definitely going to be some Rigel shit. Um, I will, I will circle back to, is there going to be any shit on Delvia in our next episode directed by Andrew Prowse, which is a Zan-centric episode called Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> Can I boo something if I also laughed at it? Because, come on, but. Yeah, I think, that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> so, back on the planet, female Igor, whose name I keep forgetting, is like, Hey, Namtar, you got a visitor. And it's Aaron. Yeah, Aaron has decided that she wants Namtar to take her DNA after all and see if there is a planet nearby of free sebations where she can go. This is a thing that we'll see around later, free sebations. Mm. So non-peacekeepers of her race that have colonies out in the uncharted territories. So, so yeah, Aaron's hoping she can find, you know, her people. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that there are people who are like, hey, maybe being born into a giant army you can't leave without being horribly murdered isn't great. Right? <laughs> and we see when Namtar takes the giant-ass needle that he injects into Aaron's eye, we see that he actually puts something into her eye yeah so more body horror if you're uh if you have an eye phobia thing i was gonna say this episode is not for you but it is because this episode is great there's just two places where you can't watch the opening scene and this scene here because yeah namtar injects something purple into her eye and it's creepy yeah it is i'm not a fan of that i i don't like guy stuff and this episode is pretty uh stuff going into eyesy yeah. And, yeah. and Aaron's like, so when are, when are you going to tell me? And Namtar's like, oh, it won't be long at all. And Aaron's like, feel like maybe this might have been a bad move on my part. Yeah, right? Like, no, Aaron, don't. So back on the ship, the data crystal has arrived. And now Rigel is in on the argument about where they're going to go first. Okay, so... I know they can't resolve it like this because obviously what happens happens, but wouldn't it make sense to just go to the closest location to wherever they're at right now? Uh, Zan actually says that that's the decision she and Dargo have come to. They'll they'll go wherever's closest. So, I mean, that seems perfectly fair, right? Yeah. Not to Rigelo, who calls Zan a blue-assed bitch, which I'm like, it's pretty sweary for TV. It was on... It was Australian TV? I don't know. I don't know what their roles are. Mm. So, Pilot tells them that Moya isn't getting the data. And at first, everyone gets mad at Pilot because they think he's doing this, you know, to be sassy. Because, you know, they cut off his arm. Because they cut off his arm. 
And he lets them know that, no, it's just that there's too much data in the crystal. Like, Moya can't process it all. It's too big. And now Pilot is sassy. He says, it appears your crystal is useless. Luckily, you didn't trade anything of real value to get it. Dang. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a pretty good point because it's a map of the universe. Yeah. Not all of the universe, but at very least the parts of it where all of these people are from, which are not parts that are near each other at all. Yeah, no, it seem, it makes sense that it would be a lot of information on that crystal. Zan discovers that they can pull out one map, but doing that will erase the other two, which means they can only go to one of their home worlds. Weird, it's almost like this crystal is designed to make them fight or something. Yeah, well, Rigel's not having that. I mean, Rigel knows... Rigel is on the ball when it comes to... Teamwork at all in any situation. Oh, I was going to say, no, the opposite. Rigel knows when it's time to stab your crew members in the back. So he snatches that crystal super fast and takes off. Oh, no, I think we were saying the same thing. Rigel knows that teamwork is bullshit and you only use people as long as you can. Yeah, he he knows when the backstab is coming. (laughs) So he yoinks the crystal and then he jet pants off to his room. Yeah. Then we get some shots on the ship from Aaron's point of view, and we see that, like, everything is kind of weird and fuzzy. It's very, it's shot very hallucinogenic drug trip. Can this show go one episode without a character getting high? No. It cannot. Usually that character is John, and that is, of course, because there is nothing quite as fun as Ben Browder pretending to be high. But no, give him a break. This episode, it's, it's Aaron. Although she's not high. She's 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 high on multitasking capabilities. Uh, so yeah. She's high on weird-ass DNA swimming through her DNA stream. Yeah. So John comes and finds her, and he sees that she's a mess and asks if it's the... Sebation heat thing. Right. Like you said, continuity. Yeah. And she says it's not. And he asks her if it's PMS... By which he means some sort of peacekeeper military shit. But she cuts him off before he says shit. She cuts him off before he says shit with Frel you, which you're you're interrupting a real swear word with a fake swear word. I feel like there's some weird meta bullshit going on there. Okay, so I'm not certain if this is true, but according to IMDB, this is the first use of the word Frel in Farscape. Also, according to IMDb, f- the word Frel itself is derived from fucking hell, which I believe because that makes sense. I just it, it brings me back to that robot chicken sketch from Battlestar of, of Battlestar Galactica, where he's like, I don't get what the frack is going on here, you fracking mother fracker. And then it cuts to a network sensor being like, hmm, I guess they're in the clear. Like, well, look, it's not the show's fault. It's, you know, standards and practices fault for not letting people talk like people talk. Which one of the things I really like about the TV show Happy Endings is how much the characters swear and they just bleep it out. Also, because I think it's funny when swears are bleeped out. Well, so how do you feel about what they do in The Good Place? That's fine. I I just I find the bleeping noise funny. The bleeping noise is funny. Especially in Scott Pilgrim, when they're like, you can only have the the these swears to get to PG thirteen, and one of the characters is self bleeping. Yes, and Scott's like, how are you doing that with your mouth? 
I also like there's a version of Scott Pilgrim that they shot specifically for when it airs on TV mm-hmm. where they replaced every swear word with the word owl for no reason. <laughs> oh just... my God. I want to see that version. Right? I think it's a, I think it's a hidden extra on the DVD, honestly. So Aaron is upset because she's going through changes. Ch-ch-ch changes. Yes. And John's like... Wait, so do translator microbes do not work on swear words? That is correct. Translator microbes do not work on swear words. And I know you're surprised because you're looking at me like you're surprised. But I feel like I have to tell you that is the deal with all science fiction shows. Translator microbes never work on swear words. And that's because they're like right in your cortex and they know what you're saying. And a different part of your brain is activated when you're cursing. It just kind of reminds me of the Artemis Fowl books where the third person omniscient narrator is like look they're talking in fairy language but i'm translating it for you except for the swears which i'm keeping in fairy language because otherwise i just have to censor them after i wrote them out there's a similar thing in harry potter where if you read through it it'll just say ron swore and if you go and you look at all the instances where it says ron swore he swears a lot in those books and she did a really good job writing around it because Boys that age would swear a lot, and she she covered it well. Ugh, she didn't do any JK. of this. Yes, I love the Harry Potter books, but J.K. Rowling is a very very problematic person. And the, let's be clear, the Harry Potter books have some pretty problematic things in them, but we'll not get into that. Yeah, that'll. The, this isn't welcome to Hogwarts. This will never be welcome to Hogwarts. So. Rachel is in his cell. He's locked himself in there with the crystal. And he's like, as soon as you come to your senses and realize that the only thing to do is to bring me back to my home world where they'll immediately kick my cousin off the throne and recrown me, God Emperor or whatever he's supposed to be. Dominar. Dominar. And Dargo's like, oh my God, you are the stupidest person on earth. Look, why don't we go to my world first and then you can go to your world with an army. Isn't that less stupid? Well, Rigel, to be fair, is like, you're a criminal. Like, you're going to muster an army for me on your planet? I don't think so. I mean, really, I don't think any of the three of them would be super welcome home. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Although, you do not yet know Dargo's backstory, as I keep telling you. Yes. I think Dargo's the one who would be most welcome home. Wow. Yes. I would have thought Zan. Nope. I mean, I know she did some pretty anti-religious things by using her brain powers to kill or whatever. Yeah. Well, okay, let's just remember what she says she was imprisoned for. She says, even on my world, I was considered something of an anarchist. Mm. Yeah, we'll return to that. I'm assuming that's a less than truthful statement or a statement that is... Not all it should be. That Yes, yes. So, finally, Dargo decides the best thing to do is to lock Rigel in his cell and also remind him that he doesn't have his emergency food stores anymore because he threw them all out. Yeah, it, it is pretty great because he's like, fine, look, I'm just going to lock you in here until you're hungry enough to give us the crystal. And Rigel's like, <laughs> I, ha- I have food stores. And Dargo's like, no, you Remember cart before horse earlier in this episode. Come on, dude. Yeah, he like takes a food cube and like crumples it in front of Rigel, which also happened to Rigel in Throne for a Loss. So it's 
kind of weird. I did not expect crushing food in front of Rigel to become a reoccurring thing in Farscape. It wasn't a thing I remembered. Also, this episode is so dedicated to continuity. Yeah, which is weird considering it was written by somebody who only wrote this one episode. It really makes me feel like there was probably more going on as far as the writing goes and as far as who got credited. Did you did you look to make sure that he's a real person and not just a name that the... Uh... I did, he is. He's not like that co-worker Jim and Dwight made up in the office so that they could get more bonuses. Right. No, he's not. So, Aaron has returned to the planet because... Something is definitely up with her. Yeah. And we see her looking down at her torso, which has started to transform into this, like, purple scaly thing it's supposed to be pilot skin like we know that because we know that it's pilot dna that got injected into her it's not really what pilot looks like it is not what pilot looks like now i did show you as soon as we finished this episode Mm -hmm. that one of the action figures made for this tv show was aaron at this stage of the transformation with the scaly purple torso just what every kid would want i don't know this for sure but that is the toy that i have most often seen out in the real world for sale places like at cons and stuff so i have to believe it's because they made too many of them and they never sold i wonder why yeah so she immediately starts attacking namtar He's like, ho ho, I switched my pain and pleasure receptors. You're just giving me an orgasm right now. And she's like, oh God, I don't want to touch you. And he's like, ha ha. It's super gross. Yeah. He's like, yes, twist my arm harder. Uh, Why would, uh, okay, so this guy is mega disturbing. I don't get why he wasn't a reoccurring villain. I mean, I get what happens to him at the end of the episode happens to him, but like, This is a good villain. So, he is not a reoccurring villain, it's true, but... Uh, But apparently Space Wizard is? Yes, yes. Maltus does come back. In an episode directed by Andrew Prowse. Mm. But... I feel like Namtar was in some ways a test run for Scorpius. Who is the big bad later in the show. Who is the big bad later, yes. Oh, yeah, so Namtar's like, Ahaha, you can't hurt me, but I've got you now, my pretty. And then we cut back to Dargo and Zan, who are arguing about how to best deal with Rigel. Yeah, and, you know, they're both trying to convince the other to join them, and of course they both know that they can't trust the other, because either one of them will cut off the other's arms if they need to. We have established that. There's no trust now. Speaking of which... Aaron goes to talk to Pilot and is like, hey, um, so I can hear the ship now? What's going on with that? And Pilot's like, huh, that's weird. Only people of my species can communicate with the space whales. And Aaron's like, look at my hand, motherfucker. Which, again, doesn't really look like Pilot's hand, but okay. It's kind of blue, I guess. So John comes into Pilot's den and is like, hey, Aaron, um... I don't know what's wrong with you, but maybe we should go down to the planet and talk to Namtar. And she's like, yeah, I've been there. It's pretty fucked. And then she shows him that her torso is not just purple now. It's also growing a tentacle. It's pretty gross. And she's like, 
Yeah, I, I think he mushed up my DNA with Pilot's DNA because I went back there to see if there was a place in the universe I could go that wasn't full of smelly humans like you. And he's like, oh. I mean, this is this is honestly a really emotional scene. Like, Claudia Black is playing the hell out of it. And she is explaining to John that she was scared of being alone, which for her as a peacekeeper to admit to someone is so hard already. And Claudia Black plays it just right. It's heartbreaking to watch. Like this terrible thing happened to her because she was so vulnerable. Meanwhile, Zan is trying to seduce Rigel into giving her the crystal. It's like, if you only have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And for Zan, the hammer is her sexuality. Is she space Jenna Maroney? That's a 30 Rock reference. Oh, I, I was actually kind of making a Captain Hammer reference. No, no, I, I got the Captain Hammer reference, but... I mean, it's a pretty Jenna Maroney move. It is. She, she decides she's going to seduce Rigel into giving up the crystal. And Rigel has... I think this is my favorite thing Rigel ever says, which is... That he's not, that his species are not body breeders. Mm. So sex isn't like a thing for him, which is interesting and a good world buildy bit. Yeah. But she's like, ah, but there are still pleasurable things I can do to you. Like stroking your eyebrows, which I think is also a thing for, um. Hey, are you thinking of stroking a Ferengi's earlobes? Yeah, the thing that they do to Space Principal Snyder. Yeah, yeah. Quark. Quark. Yeah. The ear ridges are sensitive. Just I'm like Rigel. I just I have so much trouble with Star Trek. It's a very silly series of shows. I think it's funny that you're having an issue that you're taking issue with Star Trek, but we're watching Xan do like the exact same thing right now. Yeah. And but in this case, Rigel's like, yeah, that's stupid. You're not getting the stupid yeah, no, no, no. Like, yeah, it's nice and all, but it's not nice enough for me to give you the key to my kingdom, which... Ew. Ugh. Ew. Yeah, Rigel's not falling for it. Back on the planet, John has brought Aaron down to, I don't know, beat up Namtar until he fixes her? I mean, I really don't know what John's plan was. Yeah, I mean, Aaron already tried that. He just got horny and weird at her. I mean, I guess John is a bard, so he thinks he can just talk him into it. Yeah, John, it's kind of funny because John, like, swaggers up to female Igor. It's not really the sort of walk you do when you're going to intimidate someone. It It's a very swaggery walk. It's a very strange acting choice. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. He's like, where's your master? He needs to undo what he did to Aaron. And then female Igor does this weird psychic scream thing. Yeah, yeah, which brings Namtar running, and Namtar's all like, it's okay for me to experiment on you because I'm so far above you, and also, apparently I have telekinetic abilities that I'm going to use to throw John across the room. I mean, fair, Yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Sure, why not? I'd imagine that would make science easier, telekinesis. Yeah. Boy, you can really see his weird nipple cages in this scene. Yeah, they're doing a whole body shot so that, uh... When Aaron whips out her space pistol and space shoots him. Pulse pistol. Pulse pistol. Yeah, she can shoot him. And John's like, no, don't! He's the only one who knows how to fix you! And 
Aaron's like, I'm a peacekeeper. All I know to do is shoot things. When every, uh... When all you have is a gun, every problem looks like Namtar. <laughs> so she shoots Namtar, and in what is... There must have been such a budget increase for this episode, because in a fairly solid piece of CGI... He just straight up heals the giant chunk that got blasted out of him. Namtar's like, yeah, look, I have been experimenting on myself to make myself the perfect life form. So that's why I have telekinesis. That's why I have these cool fawn legs. And that's why I can just heal when you shoot me. Yep. And then John tries to charge him again. And he throws John again, this time slamming his head into a pipe and the foley on that, the sound the pipe makes is so loud that I cringe. I'm like, oh my god, that's so much concussion. Oh, no, it's too real. Oh. It, it like, if you've ever heard someone wang their head into a pipe, this is what it sounds like. It's, it, it usually bothers me when stuff is like, you know, oh, that's a sound effect I recognize from other things. Like, oh, that's a sound effect that came free with my computer. That normally bothers me when I hear it in TV shows, but this was too real, man. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, I want to be like, do not worry, dear listener. John is okay, but he does not look okay. And also, Namtar leads Aaron off. As he does. As he does. So, back in space. Yeah, now Dargo and Xan are going to confront Rigel together. To sexually beat him up? I don't know. They're both very one-solution people. Well, so now they're going to try to trick him, but the problem is Rigel's the tricksy one. So they're like, okay, Rigel, we decided we're going to go to Hyneria just like you asked, and then we'll figure it out from there. And... I mean, honestly, that's not... Except for the fact that they'll all definitely be killed upon going there. It's not the worst idea. Hyneria probably has the most resources for finding the other two planets. That's actually, yeah, probably true. But it doesn't matter because Rigel makes no response. They go into the cell. They find out that Rigel is actually a pile of clothing underneath a blanket. And Rigel was hiding, like, just behind the door so that he could scoot out and then lock the door behind the two of them. I mean, I'm sorry, are you too new? This is, like, Prison 101. This is some real Keystone Cops stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, now Rigel is gonna go... He says he's gonna go plan his trip. Which I think is so that you're not worried that he's going to erase all of the maps while they're still in there. Like, this is all still happening. Mm. And while this is all still happening, back on the planet, Cornada, the female Cornada. Igor. Yes, Cornada, the female Igor, has decided that it's time for John to get all of the exposition. <laughs> yeah, she wakes him up and she's like, okay, you're not dead. Run away now. And then she tries to run. And then John's like, wait, instead of running, let me use my gather information skill. And she's like, okay, this is literally everything. So I was part of a group of scientists who came to this world to do weird fucked up science shit and Namtar went out of control and he's making himself into the perfect organism in the universe and that's and he's been experimenting like everyone on this planet was part of the original team at one point except now they've just been subject to his experiments blah 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 everyone here is a genetically mutated freak because Namtar and John is like wait Namtar was just your assistant? And she's like, no, Namtar was my lab rat. Dun, oh my, dun, dun. Oh my God. 
Namtar, it's goblin spelled backwards. Oh my god, yes. No, this is, this is, as I said at the top of this podcast, this is the Rats of Nim as a horror movie. Yeah, I still think he should have been named Baltar. Because that would be Lab Rat spelled backwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she also tells him that he's, the reason he's experimenting on Aaron right now is because he wants to isolate the pilot's multitasking capabilities, which is essentially the ability that lets them run all of the systems of the ship at once. Yeah. Their brains function on a higher level, which is necessary to keep, you know, everyone from dying in space. Yes, it's a good ability to have. And in Namtar's lab, Aaron is hidden behind a curtain so that we can get a reveal later. Yes, which I don't think it's really worth it, but... mm. Really? I find it kind of horrifying. Like, in a good way. Like, in a, oh, wow, that's freaky. Yeah, but I don't think it it was in a this-needed-to-be-sprung-on-us-later thing. Okay. Well, anyway, Aaron's behind a curtain while Namtar tells her that, you know, she's contributing to evolution and all that stuff. Yeah, she's like, hey, I don't like this. I feel like I'm losing myself. And he's like, yourself sucks. There'll still be a key part of yourself in there, but you'll be better in every way. And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, hey, hey, you don't really have a choice at this point. So either get cool with it or shut up because it's happening. Oof. And she's like, I guess I'll get cool with it. And he's like, good girl. Oof. Back on the ship, Rigel is messing with the data crystal and Dargo and Zan are trying to figure out how to break out of the cell. And of course, they're fighting because, you know. Of course. Of course. I like at one point Dargo yells at Zan for going behind his back to try to seduce Rigel. She's like, you didn't have a better idea. And Dargo's like, I was going to kill him. Which, to be fair, that's a better idea. Yeah. Yeah. That That is a more solid idea. I mean, I know it's a big cell, but there's there's probably only so many hiding places there. Okay, see, so that I'm not so sure of. That they, that might that might have been a problem for them. So John has brought Shigor onto the ship. Yeah, he brought her to pilot, and together they're going to... Reverse genetically engineer Aaron. Yeah, but I love this because John says to pilot, we, she's going to help us save Aaron. Can you help us? And pilot says, without hesitation. It's good, and it's it's nice that they're acknowledging Pilot's positive relationship with Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also get a mention that the data crystal has almost completely been reconfigured, so Rigel's about to load up the Hynerian map, and Coronado's like, oh, I should tell you, that's going to erase everything on your ship, because it's a trap. Of course it is. Of course it is. So now John, well, Coronado is working on whatever it is that she's sciencing up to save Aaron. Now John has to run to the bridge to stop them from using the crystal. I love how he just, like, he runs to grab it from Rigel, and Rigel tries to do the flesh-biting thing that he did to Aaron earlier in the show. Yeah, he took out a chunk of her. Yeah, but John's like, whoops, pow, and just (laughs) slaps the crystal out of his hand. Well, it's it's a great move, because he, like, reaches with one hand... And Rigel, like, tries to bite him. And he reaches with the other hand, and Rigel tries to bite him. And then he reaches with the first hand and knocks it away with the second hand. And this is surprisingly beautiful. Uh, Zan and Dargo run into the room as the crystal shatters. And it 
projects this holographic map of the universe. It's very pretty, and then it all falls to dust around them. Like sand. It's like uh, a mandala. Yeah. Yeah. And Zan's like, what the shit, John? And John's like, hey, did you ever think that maybe he could have, like, sent three small crystals? Or that this was a fucking obvious trap, you idiots? I like that no one questions John here. John's like, yeah, it wasn't going to work. It was a trap. Okay, bye. And then he just walks away. Like, they don't argue with him. Because it was really obviously a trap? Well, I guess it could be because it's really obvious a trap. I was liking to think that they're starting to know that John knows what he's talking about at this point. Hmm. Which would be nice. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Namtar's like, where are you, Shigor? The final stage is coming. And... John's like, she's with me. Yes, Cornada has completed whatever potion she was working on. So she and John return to the planet. And John is distracting Namtar while Cornada is messing with the potion that's going to be used. The science potion. The science potion. So John is distracting Namtar by, you know, telling him that he's... I want to hear about your work. I hear that you think that you're smart. Can you expand upon that? And Namtar's like, oh my god, I am smart. I can expand upon that. I was thinking about the Futurama thing with the uh, investment banking. That must be really easy. No, no, it's (laughs) tremendously difficult. Let me explain. (laughs) Yeah, He does kind of pull that a little bit. And this is when Namtar reveals the half-pilot, half-Aaron hybrid. Which... Really good, I don't know what to call it, puppet work? Makeup work? It looks really good. I think it's mostly prosthetics. Knowing that this is Farscape, they probably use some puppetry as well. But yeah, it's it's good and it's creepy. And and John's like, wow, that's really fucked up. And Namtar's like, hey, look, you, you don't create a perfect organism without making some monsters. And John's like, are you a perfect organism? And he's like, I'm an S&M cat lizard. How more perfect could you get? And yeah. And so then John tells him about Nazi scientists and tells him that he's a Nazi. Oh, my God. You're just waiting for the whole speech. He's like, there are men like you on Earth. There are men of science, men of intellect, men of... And, and Amitabh's like, yeah, yeah, they're Nazis. I get it. Get to them being Nazis and... He's like, men like Goebbels. And he's like, yeah, Nazis. Mengele. Like, Mengele. Which, it, you took a long time to get there, John. We're, we're browsing through it, but he builds up to it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to be fair, he's he's distracting Namtar while Cornada does all of her stuff in the background. I, you know what? That, that's a solid point. All of this unnecessary buildup is earned because... This has all been a distraction as Cornada mixes up her anti-genetic engineering potion. Yeah, yeah, which she injects into Namtar, causing him to, like, lose all of his evolutions. Okay, this is bad CGI. There's been some good CGI in this episode. This is bad CGI. He, like, shakes around and he melts and he just turns into a little, like... Little rat puppet. Well, it's uh, like that thing that was hanging out on Jabba's pleasure yacht. That's what it looked like. I was trying to figure out what it looked like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Something crumb? Salacious crumb. Yeah, yes, it looks like salacious crumb. It does. It looks a lot like salacious crumb. And Shigor just kind of 
she like walks through the discarded SM gear and just throws Namtar into a cage. And meanwhile, Aaron's like, hey, can can I get a shot of that? Can I get a shot of the unmutifying potion? Yes, please fix me. And then John grabs the the needle and Coronado's like, wait, one more thing of horror. It has to go into her eye. And it's like, really? Really? It, it seems unnecessary, but fine. I mean, it really is just like one additional horror. And Aaron's like, just fucking do it. Do it. John's like, she can't do it. Like, she she's the scientist. I mean, I know I'm also a scientist, but... Mm. Earlier I said there were two parts where you had to look away if you'd eye things. I forgot there's three. Also look away during this. Yeah. And it looks like Aaron's dead, but nope, she, she's just... She needs to malt some. Yeah, she's gonna be fine. Don't, don't worry, viewers. She'll be fine. She'll be hot again next scene. Yes. But first she has to moan and thrash as John holds her, but it's not sexy at all. Well, no, because she's a horrifying crab creature. Yes. Yeah. So, back in space. Okay, okay. The cutest thing ever. John is bringing her her dinner, and because she's been sick and he wants her to feel better, he just lays out the food cubes, which are, you know, just little squares, little square crackers. He lays out the food cubes in a little smiley face for her. It's very cute. And she's like, what is this? And he's like, it's a, it's a happy face. See the the pattern and she's like no she's like they're food cubes and he's like no like the pattern it forms a f-. and she's like really and he's like okay wrong audience john is being very deliberately cute here and, I, and it works for him like it's really well staged too because she's sitting in she's sitting in the in the commissary in the kitchen where they sit and he's kind of kneeling down and resting his arms and his head on the table so he's kind of looking up at her she's recovering and you can see that she's been beat up this episode so he's purposefully making himself more vulnerable than her so that she feels comfortable yeah Yeah. it's a really subtle but really good character note slash bit of staging yeah and aaron talks a little bit about how you know her training has always been being the strongest person so to lose her mind like that to lose control of her mind is the thing that's scariest to her. And she didn't even know that was the thing that was scariest to her. Like, earlier this episode, she thought the thing that was scariest was being alone. And now she's learned a whole new horror. Like, you can be alone inside your own body. Yeah. Yeah. And John's like, you know what? You'd do well on Earth. Everyone's alone inside their own body on Earth. And Aaron's like, ugh. Right? And then the last sequence, which I... We'll t- which we should talk about because I am kind of mixed on. Oh, I see you are less mixed than I am. Your face says that you did not think it worked. I get it. I get it. It's Dargo being... Hon- honestly, I do like kind of the subtext that Dargo is the more empathetic person than Zan. Because he's the one who's kind of going to Pilot to make amends. So he goes to Pilot and he can't say he's sorry because he's Luxon and that's how it is and toxic masculinity the race yeah basically but Pilot knows that and he sees the thing that Dargo's holding he's like oh it's the thing you've been working on which we haven't seen yes that would have been a good thing to see throughout the episode yeah he's like ah the thing you've been working on what kind of weapon is it and Dargo's like no it's it's a musical instrument and he starts playing for Pilot it's kind of like a sitari vibe yeah it's it's not bad, and 
I, I think it's just that I don't like Darko. It is a nice sort of note to end the episode on, but like, I can't say I'm sorry because I'm from space. I'm I'm space warrior guy, so I can't apologize for cutting off your fucking arm. Okay, so that wasn't my issue with it. I mean, my issue with it was it wasn't set up at all. I didn't I didn't feel like it was earned. I didn't feel like it was an apology that was earned. If we had had any inkling that Dargo actually felt bad about what he had done to Pilot, or if we had seen him working on it, I mean, there's a lot in this episode, so... Honestly, I feel like they should have just not had that at the end. They should have just had the scene with John and Aaron be the last scene. Because it's a nice moment, but nothing builds up to it, and it doesn't really feel related to anything that happened in a... Like, it doesn't feel earned. Yeah, no, and that's why I'm torn on the scene, because I really... In isolation, like the scene. I like the, I can't apologize to you. I'm going to sit here and play music and let you, like, let that speak for me. Yeah, no, I, I do like the concept of, I can't apologize, so instead I'm going to be vulnerable in front of you. Yeah, but, yeah, not earned, but that's okay. So, yeah, this was probably my favorite episode we've done so far. It was really good. Yeah, I love this episode. A lot of continuity, but I feel like it would stand well on its own. Genuinely creepy, great character work. I keep telling you that Farscape really becomes a show about the characters, and I feel like this is the first episode we've gotten to where you might start to believe me. Yes. (laughs) All right, so segments. Okay, so uh, Strange Alien Creatures is our first segment, which is what puppets or makeup did you really like in this episode okay so i i'm gonna be super obvious here namtar namtar had a lot of bits going on and he looked really cool okay so i actually really like the salacious crumb thing that he turns into it like you can tell it's a rat Mm -hmm. but there's nothing rat like about it i i was trying to figure out what it reminded me of because and of course Jim Henson's Creature Shop. It has strong Rizzo vibes. It has strong Rizzo vibes, even though there's nothing about it that looks like Rizzo. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons, I mean, honestly, one of the reasons I'm surprised Namtar doesn't come back is because his puppets are so cool. Yeah. And the way he walks, where it's genuinely alien. And then when you find out what he is, it makes sense because it does feel like he's moving in a body that's not quite right. Which is Also, what would a rat want to be? A cat. Oh, oh yeah. I I was gonna say it's an amazing way to work in. I'm sure that part of the reason his movements were a little jerky is because it was a giant puppet. Like we we didn't say, but it's like eight feet tall. Yeah, it's really imposing. Yeah. So I'm sure it's a little difficult to move in. And it's great how they made that a part of his character instead of being a thing they had to work around. Yeah. Good job, Jim Henson's creature shop. Good job. Like you need our <laughs> like you need our approval. Like our approval means anything to you. So our next segment. Oh, I did them out of order. So our next segment is a distant part of the universe, which was what world building did you like in this episode? Okay, what I really liked in this episode, and what I feel like the rest of the series has been sort of about, but hasn't really delivered, is the sense of scale you get for yes. how big the universe is, like. This episode really pushes the idea that the universe is a giant, giant, giant place where there are these empires that are, you know, that rule over massive parts of it that may never see each other just because... 
the universe is so very, very big. Yes, that is one reason I like this episode a lot. Um, I'm going to say, since that probably would have been mine, mm. but I'm going to say that the thing I liked as far as universe building in this episode was Pilot's speech about how about how his race can only travel the stars by connecting to a Leviathan. And that would not be my favorite part of world building in this episode, except that I already know that it's setting up an amazing episode later. Okay, so there's this book series I was really into as a kid called Animorphs. Yes, I'm sure... Yes. I'm sure people are familiar with it. It was pretty popular at the time. And I think they're making like an animated series or something of it now. Oh, I feel like I heard that. Yeah. Or like they're doing new audiobooks or something that people are... I, there's something about it people are really excited about. So I just missed Animorphs. I was like just a touch too old for them when they were coming out. But so many people reminisce about them online that I'm like, should I go read those? I mean, you could knock them out. You could probably knock out the whole series in like half a day. <laughs> They're very easy reads, but they're good, and they're very dark for a children's series. Okay, so uh, go ahead and tell me your Animorphs thing. Okay, so the main antagonists are Yurks. They're these little slug-like creatures that crawl into your ear and take over your body. And Ooh, Okay. Yeah. But the thing about them is they were contained to their homeworld, where there was only one creature that they were able to possess to get out. And they're sort of... A thing, like the prime directive that the main good guy aliens, although we kind of find out some stuff about them later, that's related to this because one of these good guy aliens goes to their homeworld and is like, oh, this is really fucked up. I want to give you guys the universe. But to do that, oh, they have to take over other creatures. It's sort of an inverse of the pilot thing. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Oh. And there's a big point later in the series where, like, most of the Yurks aren't bad, per se. It's just the only way they can experience life outside of being literally a blind slug is to crawl into another sentient creature's ear and wrap around their brains. Oh, I feel like this was weirdly stolen by Stephanie Meyer for her book, The Host. Oh, I'm very certain that that's true. So, uh, our final segment. Mm-hmm. Just looking for a way home. Yes. So what in this episode spoke to you emotionally? Honestly, lots of it. I mean, again, yeah. it's weird that Erin is consistently the emotional linchpin of this, but her speech to John about how home is a place that she can never go. Yes. And also the interaction with her and John at the end of the episode. So I actually don't think it's that strange that Erin is the emotional linchpin. Um, for two reasons. One is that... She's not covered in massive amounts of makeup all the time. No. I mean, that's probably... Slash is a puppet. I mean, that's probably part of it. But Aaron's the one who has to go on an emotional journey. Like, other people have external journeys, like, literally looking for a way home. But Aaron's the one who has to go from a peacekeeper to something else that she never anticipated. Hmm. So it makes sense that Aaron would be on an emotional journey. Weirdly, John is our way in as far as John being a human who's learning all of this stuff, but Aaron's our emotional way in as far as learning what to feel about things. And also, since we're talking about found family and how this show is going to earn found family and not just give it to us unearned, mm -hmm. Aaron at this point, 
Aaron and Pilate are the only two people who are there by choice. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And and I feel like that's really important. And and my looking for a way home moment is also an Aaron moment. It's the one Aaron John moment you didn't mention. The one where she talks about how her big fear is being alone because she's always been part of a group or a crew. And again, bringing it back to found family again. Like, Aaron's fear of being alone is part of what's going to motivate her to form a family around her, even though Dargo was so suspicious of that earlier because... To him, she's a peacekeeper. Why would a peacekeeper form bonds when, from her point of view, peacekeepers are their bonds? So, great Aaron episode. Great Great Aaron Aaron episode. episode. And I think that will about do it. That will do it for this episode. Our next episode is They've Got a Secret. And, mm -hmm, And the description is, While inspecting access shafts, Dargo is flushed into space. The DRDs turn on the crew and Moya cuts off life support while the crew attempts to find the cause from a revived but delusional Dargo. Oh, oh, okay. So that kind of ties into one of the things I really enjoyed about this episode being that this episode wasn't X is wrong with the ship. We have to fix X. And it sounds like we're getting a ton of that next uh, time. So yeah, what's weird about this episode is I feel like this episode is a real rehashing of Exodus from Genesis, Mm -hmm. which was the episode where the ship was going wrong. And then it turned out that there was the insect alien who was using the ship and the heat of the ship to reproduce. Yeah. This episode feels like a rehash of it, except this episode is much more important. So it's more like Exodus from Genesis was a prototype of the episode we have coming up. So we will repeat in two weeks. Hmm. Until then, our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs>